Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy day after Monday uh, to you. Happy Tuesday to you. Uh, I had a good conversation with our man, Uncle Jimmy, uh, yesterday. He's in awesome spirits. He had some stitches removed yesterday, uh, and he's well on the road to recovery. Uh, it, the doctors are calling it one of the greatest transition surgeries. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I told Jimmy, I told everybody he was transitioning. This is how I know he's in good spirits, because he laughed, and he didn't get mad at me. Uh, but the truth is, uh, he went in for some penile enhancement surgery, and uh, despite some complications, they were able to add a quarter of an inch. I, I'm, I told him I was going to correct that joke. And, uh, anyway, he had some serious issues, and, and he's recovering from them, and he's doing well. Uh, he's laughing. He's in great spirits. He's well on the road uh, to recovery. Uh, and so I'm happy about that. And, and I do feel confident that next week we're going to check in on him via Skype at the very least. I feel confident saying that. I didn't talk with Jim about that yesterday, but I feel confident that we can do that. And so that's your Uncle Jimmy update uh, for today. Uh, he'll be back in that chair hopefully uh, very soon and we can get this show all the way back on track, but things are going well. I hope that you guys out there are joining the Fearless Army, that you're uh, telling your friends to join the Fearless Army, that you're going to youtube.com uh, slash Jason Whitlock, hitting the subscribe, the notification button, the like button, you're jumping in the chats and giving me an opportunity to engage with you in the chats. You're jumping in the comments and leaving a comment about your willingness to join the Fearless Army. And uh, today I'm kind of excited because I think we got a new recruit. Uh, someone stopped by, uh, you know, our, our recruitment center here in Nashville or reached out, uh, you know, over the phone, over the internet and said, hey man, I wanna join the Fearless Army, I'm fearless. And, and so we're gonna test out this recruit today, put him through some basic training. Uh, his name is Rashad McCants. Those of you that are North Carolina basketball fans, uh, perhaps you remember Rashad at the University of North Carolina. He was a 14th pick in the draft, uh, I believe 14th overall pick in the draft and you know had a successful four years in the NBA. I think some injuries caught up with him or whatever, but uh, previously when I worked at Fox Sports, I engaged or interacted with uh, Rashad when I was working at Fox Sports. It was either on Speak for Yourself or me filling in for Colin Cowherd on his show. And so Rashad reached out and said he wanted to be inducted into the Fearless Army, said he was man enough for it. And so we'll put him through some basic training here in a minute after. I'm going to start a fire and see if he can keep the blaze going. Uh, uh, previous recruits, uh, pre, uh, you know, soldiers that have been with me for a long time, Steve Kim, uh, he's going to join us. Uh, and then uh, 
will end the show going out to speak uh, to our four-star general uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, Delano Squires, the smartest man on the show, uh, will go out to uh, his post. And it, Delano's right there on the front lines, uh, you know, battling the real enemies right there in Washington, D.C. He's on the front line of this cultural war. He's our strongest soldier. Uh, you know, Steve Kim's all the way. Well, Steve Kim's out there on the front lines, too. He's out there in California. Uh, Rashad McCants is trying to join the Army from Las Vegas. Oh, boy, I don't, I don't know what to think about that. Uh, but we'll find out here shortly. L let me start this blaze. But anyway, Steve Kim Delano uh, will be here uh, later in the show to back if this new recruit doesn't work out. You know, we got the reinforcements coming in with Steve Kim and Delano. So, all right, let me start this fire. I've, I've given you guys time to uh, join the show. Uh, jump in the comments, the likes. Get those likes up. I want 2,000 likes for this show because this fire deserves that. All right, so Monday, yeah, Monday felt like a tipping point in the social justice culture war ra raging across Silicon Valley's social media apps. One of the key purposes of Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook is the control of celebrity influencers. The apps reinforce the message of the handlers of the athletes and other celebrities. When presidential candidate Joe Biden says, you ain't black if you fail to vote for me, it's the job of Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to affirm that sentiment. Once the social media apps affirm the belief, multimillionaire celebrities know what positions they should take. It's why 95% of all celebrities pretend to think the exact same things and why 99.9% .9 of them say the exact same things. And it's why they get upset and turn verbally vicious when one of their peers breaks ranks. Remember Chelsea Handler, the white Jewish lady who scolded black rapper 50 Cent for questioning Joe Biden's tax policies? Handler went on Jimmy Fallon's TV show to remind 50 Cent that he was black and she promised 50 Cent access to her overused vagina if he remembered he was black. 50 Cent backed down. He's a rapper, he's a bit of a fraud. He folded because of, you know, little white Jewish lady scolded him. He fo That's what we do. I've been talking about this all the time about real men not being real men and everybody being afraid to stand on their own two feet and stand up like a man. White woman goes on TV, calls you a sellout, and you fold and apologize. White woman, 45, that's been banged by everybody in Hollywood, promises you a little poo-tang, and you fold. That's my problem with today's black celebrities. It doesn't take much for them to fold. Dave Chappelle, on the other hand, he did not fold. On Monday, the iconic comedian released a video reacting to the controversy engulfing his latest Netflix comedy special. Last week, a handful of Netflix employees staged a publicity stunt slash walkout because they believed the closer expressed transphobic and homophobic viewpoints. 
The protesters want Netflix to remove the comedy special from the streaming service. So far, Netflix has refused. And so far, <laughs> Dave Chappelle ain't backing down. Take a listen to uh, the video Dave Chappelle put out, his statement yesterday. I said what I said, and boy, I heard what you said. My God, how could I not? You said you want a safe working environment at Netflix. Well, it seems like I'm the only one that can't go to the office anymore. Even though the media frames this, that it's me versus that community, it is not what it is. Do not blame the LBGTQ community for any of this shit. This has nothing to do with them. It's about corporate interests and what I can say and what I cannot say. I made a whole documentary about it. The first night of those shows was a piece that some of you might have seen. It was called 846, and it dealt with the death, the murder of George Floyd. This film that I made was invited to every film festival in the United States, and some of those invitations I accepted. And when this controversy came out about the close-up, they began disinviting me from these film festivals. And now, today, not a film company, not a movie studio, not a film festival, nobody will touch this film. Thank God for Ted Randall's and Netflix. He's the only one that didn't cancel me yet. <laughs> to the transgender community, I am more than willing to give you an audience, but you will not summon me. I am not bending to anybody's demands. You will be able to see this movie in its entirety, and you can see what they're trying to obstruct you from seeing. Yes, and you can judge for yourself, but you cannot have this conversation and exclude my voice from it. That is only fair. You have to answer the question, am I canceled or not? <laughs> then let's go. Thank you very much, and good night. Mm. Someone needs to send that clip to uh, 50 Cent so he can see what it looks like when a black man lets his little boys hang. When a black man stands up and refuses to back down because some people are upset. Yeah, Monday felt different and, and, and it wasn't just Dave Chappelle. Boxing legend Floyd Mayweather, he released a social media video supporting NBA star Kyrie Irving. Irving, of course, has been banned from the Brooklyn Nets facility until he submits to taking the COVID vaccine. Take a listen to Floyd letting his little boys hang. Kyrie, what's up? I know you're going through a lot. We had a chance to hang out in 2016 when you represented America, when you represented the red, white, and blue. You only want to be treated fair. Um, I was going to post something on one of my social media pages, but I decided to do it the old school way 
and read it out to you because you're a great person, great father, a great athlete, and you believe what you believe. America is the land of the free, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and supposedly freedom to choose. Never be controlled by money. I respect you for having some integrity and being your own man. A free mind makes its own choices and enslaved mind follows the crowd. Stand for something or fall for anything. One man can lead a revolution to stand up and fight for what's right. One choice, one word, one action can change the world. It's crazy how people hate you for being a leader. I hope your actions encourage many others to stand up and say enough is enough. Respect to you, Kyrie, and power to the people. Mm. Respect to Kyrie and power to the people. Mayweather just demonstrated more courage than the overwhelming majority of Irving's NBA peers. It's my belief that most professional athletes would prefer not to take the vaccine. They're young. They're in peak physical condition. COVID poses virtually no threat to them. They agree with Kyrie's stance, but they're afraid to say so. They're afraid to publicly support a peer who is taking a courageous stand. They don't want to be on the wrong side of Twitter or Facebook or one of those algorithm lynch mobs. Thank God Mayweather delights in being the bad guy. There go the bad guy. Thank God Mayweather values being able to say what he believes. So does Enos Cantor. Cantor is a longtime NBA player from Turkey. On Monday, Cantor released a video torching Nike's hypocrisy on China's human rights abuses. Cantor specifically called out Nike founder Phil Knight and the shoe company's most prominent pitchmen Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Let's take a listen to Enos Cantor. Nike stands with the Black Lives Matter. Nike stands with Stop Asian Hate. Nike stands with the Latino community. And Nike stands with the LGBTQ community. And Nike remains vocal about injustice here in America. But when it comes to China, Nike remains silent. You do not address police brutality in China. You do not speak about discrimination against the LGBTQ community. You do not say a word about the oppression of minorities in China. You are scared to speak up. Who makes your shoes in China? Do you even know? There are so many forced labor factories in China. For instance, Uyghur forced labor in modern day slavery and it is happening right now in China. Millions of Uyghurs are currently detained, sold, and assigned to work at forced labor camps, prisons, and factories across the country. Nike likes to say, just do it. Well, what are you doing about the slave labor that makes your shoes? That slave labor that makes you rich? To the owner of Nike, Phil Knight, I have a message for you. How about I book a plane tickets for us? Let's fly, let's fly to China together. We can try to visit these slave labor camps and you can see it with your own eyes. LeBron James and Michael Jordan, you guys are welcome to come too. Mm. Let me quote Enos Cantor. You are scared to speak up. LeBron James, Phil Knight, Michael Jordan, 
you are scared to speak up. Yes, they are. But more than that, they're frauds, all of them. They blast America because social media algorithms reward criticism of the country that made them rich and famous. They blast America because the Chinese Communist Party rewards criticism of the country that made LeBron, Jordan, Kaepernick, Phil Knight, all of them rich and famous. Thank God for Monday, Monday felt different. It feels like things are changing. It feels like more and more celebrities are breaking free of the chains that control their thoughts and actions. As more break free, it's much easier to identify the true sellouts, the celebrities beholden to China and Silicon Valley. That's LeBron James. It's Michael Jordan. It's Phil Knight, it's Colin Kaepernick, it's all these little woke social justice warriors that love to play tough guy over social media or love to go on ESPN and shed tears because the, somebody said DeMora Smith had big lips, that love to go on TV and play the race card, wanna call out Drew Brees for defending the national anthem. They're all frauds. None of, Jamel Hill, none of them believe a damn thing they're saying. It's all about collecting a check and staying on the right side of social media. Floyd Mayweather, Dave Chappelle, Enos Cantor, Kanye West. It's a growing number, Kyrie Irving, a growing number of influencers and celebrities that are actually manning up. Nicki Minaj, womaning up and showing her pair. We need more of this. I, I think we're going to get more of this because the more people like Floyd Mayweather and Dave Chappelle show, you know what? I'd rather stand on truth than be a coward and keep lying to people while our rights and freedoms get taken away, while we all sit around and uh, pretend like, oh my God, Donald Trump and, and, and Trump supporters, oh, they're destroying America, they're taking away all our rights. No, we're surrendering our rights. We've been tricked and fooled by a game that they're playing, they're selling us out to China. And then you got all these black people running around thinking the LGBT, the alphabet mafia, and the transgenders somehow got something to do with us. Throwing out every value uh, that we have, that we were brought up with in the church, throwing them all out because Obama said so. I, I don't care who does and doesn't like me. Marriage is for a man and a woman. That's what God said, that's what the Bible said. Just because Obama told you otherwise and you threw out everything you were brought up to believe in your church, everything your grandmama believed, I'm not a coward, I'm not doing it. And I don't care who doesn't like me for it. Marriage ain't for everybody. And that has nothing to do with me being homophobic or transphobic or anything. If you don't want to be monogamous, marriage ain't for you. If you wanna hang out in strip clubs, 
like I used to love to hang out in strip clubs. Marriage ain't for you. We build in this world like everything is for everybody. No, it's not. There's rules and regulations we all should abide by. Before we just jump, oh, I'm gonna jump into marriage, but I'm still gonna uh, play around. I'm gonna keep me three or four side chicks on the side. Marriage ain't for you. Marriage is for a man and a woman who want to have a monogamous relationship and raise some kids. That's who marriage is for. Everybody else that don't fit that definition, it ain't for you. So that includes, or it used to include me <laughs> for a long time, included me and the LGBT and everybody damn else. But y'all sit around and sell out everything you believe in because Obama allegedly looks like you. Because Obama is allegedly down for the cause and down for black folks. Do a damn thing for you. He served his constituency. That's why they put him on the cover of Newsweek magazine and celebrated him as the first gay president because he served his constituency. I didn't make it up. I didn't put him on the cover with that headline. They did. But you's running around, sitting around thinking he's the first black president and you don't have one receipt that justifies that claim. So hats off to Dave Chappelle. Maybe he'll be a role model to some of you. You don't have to bow down and meet the demands of anybody that comes around because social media might get on me. And so LGBT, that's a black issue. Not in my house, not here. Uh, Rashad, you said you wanted some of this smoke. All right, Rashad, you said you wanted this smoke. Well, now the smoke is here. Uh, the newest potential recruit to the Fearless Army. Uh, <laughs> let's see if you built for this. Uh, don't bring no fire extinguisher. Bring some gas to this conversation. Uh, we'll start here. I feel like we've reached a tipping point and that more and more men, women, people are starting to speak out and stick to their beliefs. I think what Chappelle and Floyd Mayweather and, and Enos Kanter did on Monday is just another push in the right direction. And I think we're going to, I think change is in the air. Do you agree? I definitely agree. And I thank you for having me on your show again, brother. It's, uh, it's an honor. I think we had a point of no return. I think that uh, right now, the liberation of the people have reached its capacity and we're ready to blow through the, through the roof. And the athletes and the celebrities are the ones, are what we call the gatekeepers. They the wrong people with the keys and they're giving the wrong messages. And you can see it now. I think that everyone's starting to catch on to the clown show. And you know which clowns got the script, got the call, and then they're ready to make the, you know, their presentation on national TV to distract us. We're in the proper we're in a, we're in a position to have unity amongst each other by way of understanding that they're trying to fool us and trick us and make us do things we don't want to do. 
And like you said, these guys are fed up with it. And I think that now that we are at a point of no return, we can really start kicking these dudes in the butt and kick, start kicking some ass and start really, really pointing out who the frauds are and who to listen to. One, I love the fact that you're in Las Vegas. Obviously, Floyd Mayweather is based in Las Vegas. Love the fact that you played in the NBA. Uh, and, and so Kyrie Irving, I believe, represents most professional athletes that are in their prime. Kyrie's 29 years old. He's in great physical condition. There's no reason for him to want to take the vaccine, given his age, health, conditioning, and all of that. I think most of the guys in the NBA agree with Kyrie's stance. They just don't have the balls to support him. Uh, I agree. But I would call it something different. It's called groupthink. And when you suffer from groupthink, no one has an opinion of their own. Kyrie is doing exactly what I would do if I was there. And that's why I got pushed out, because I was going to be that guy every step of the way once I got my all-star status and my symbol of, of hope for the people. Kyrie has that. And he's being the leader he's supposed to be. He's not joining the groupthink army or what you would call the left. When you're righteous, you stay right. And that's what Kyrie's being is, is a symbol of hope. He's going back to the to the word, King Solomon. You gotta be righteous. You gotta know what's right and what's wrong. And if you're in the group think scenario, all these players are looking at Kyrie like, man, if three years from now something goes wrong with this vaccine, I can't undo it. You can't go back and undo your vaccine. So for Kyrie and everybody looking at him crazy, Kyrie knows he's not a part of the swamp. He's not a part of the propaganda in which all of the other ones are. So they're looking at him crazy. And you're talking to someone who was in the trenches with these guys. Someone who was really in the front line. And I know Kyrie's catching the smoke right now and none of his Teammates, friends, partners can stand with him because when you're in the fire, no one wants to get burned. Rashad, you point to groupthink, and I, I want to ask why these guys have contracts that pay them millions. They're guaranteed for the most part. Uh, why are athletes so caught up in groupthink? You would think, and everybody wants to be Muhammad Ali, allegedly, mm -hmm. but all the modern-day athletes are caught up in doing what everybody else is doing. I say it's an addiction to social media. What do you think is driving all the group thing? We go back, like you said, biblical. You got the sheep, you got the herd, you got the goats, and then you got the shepherd. If all the herd and all the sheep are going in one direction, the one sheep that doesn't really have all the information is not going to go off on his own. He's going to follow the herd. And that's what's happened. Who's the shepherd of the herd? LeBron James. He ushers in whatever you want the propaganda to be, whatever questions you don't want people to ask. All you got to say is you're either going to be connected to LeBron or you're not. And so now everybody has a decision to make based on uh, reputation, resume, 
if you're cool or not. And the biggest word that you can think of right now with is clout. This is the social media clout era. So if Westbrook's wearing a dress and it's cool, YG's going to pop up on IG wearing a dress. If everyone's wearing mohawks and it's cool, everybody's going to pull up with a mohawk on. This has been our culture for the last 10 years. And what you've done is injected, like you said yesterday, a man energies vaccine where we can bring our man alpha energy into this culture and fix America. You you pointed out LeBron James as the Pied Piper of all of this. And obviously, I agree with that. Uh, is it simply that's the role you have to play if the, the entire NBA and Nike are going to support you, that like those are the handcuffs you must put on if you're going to get all this money from Nike and if you're going to be the biggest star in the NBA and get uh, treated that way and marketed that way? In order to get in bed with the NBA and Nike, do you have to go the direction LeBron has gone? Well, LeBron didn't go any direction. LeBron is the chosen one. You know, they picked him from a young age. So to give him the keys, to allow guys like Anthony Davis, Kyrie, everyone underneath the the, the, the thumb of the umbrella right now has went to the LeBron James Skills Academy. Understand that part. So LeBron has seniority over all of the NBA players as like Hobie did in his year 20. But the respect and gratitude that these guys have for LeBron is so oversaturated that everything he says is gold. Everything he says is right because he's never been in trouble. He's never gotten into any kind of controversy. So to not follow LeBron would be ludicrous. But when he's giving you the wrong information, when he's standing for something and not standing for the other thing, like, you know, and as Cancer says, you've been with Nike all this time. You don't know that there's forced labor camps. I doubt it. Because I know Michael Jordan knows. I know George Ravelin knows. I know Lynn Merritt knows. Because I, I was sponsored by Nike. And I played in China. So I know about all this. You can't fool the guy who'd already been over there. So it's a lot of people just being quiet because they lose everything, sticking their neck on the line for something that they don't really believe in. You said Kyrie Irving under the umbrella of LeBron James, went to his skills academy. LeBron is the godfather for all these guys in the NBA, and they do feel beholden to him. Why do you think Kyrie, in this instance, as it relates to the vaccine, has gone a different direction? Kyrie is not a fan of LeBron James, never have been. And as secretly as it can go in the locker rooms, how people know this, Publicly is politically correctness. And I think we all know what that is when you got to say good things about your teammate because you're on the same team. Kyrie leaves to go to another team because he did not want to play with LeBron James. He started to see the trends that everybody sees on his team that leaves, has a problem, but can't say nothing about it. Kyrie is the renaissance man of the NBA. He's not the guy who's going to just do things for the sake of doing them 
opposite. He actually thinks and has a logic and has a strategy behind what he's doing. And people don't like a smart man. People don't like an intelligent black man at that, that got his own ideals, his own traditions and morals. They hate that. So Kyrie looks at LeBron James like less of a man because you don't have your own, you don't have your own energy. You don't have your own mentality. And for everyone on the outside of sports looking at Kyrie Irving, he's being celebrated. So don't let these people in the media believe that Kyrie's an enemy. He is our hero. And if we don't stand with him as that, we're going to lose the only national hero that we have right now outside of Dave Chappelle and Floyd and Ennis and others standing. All these other frauds are going to just pass us, man. And it's going to be hard to catch up. I don't, you said something that I, I feel like I have to ask a follow-up, even though it might take the conversation a slightly different direction, but I, I got to ask a follow-up. You mentioned Russell Westbrook putting a dress on and that that's going to make it okay for others to put a, to put a dress on. And, and, you know, Russell Westbrook baffles me because I think he has a relatively strong father uh, involved in his life, uh, comes from a decent family, and it, it just, the, the negative energy that he plays with, the anger that he plays with, I've said for a long time, like, hey, you can't play that with that energy at point guard. Right. Now, if you want to go be angry, go play shooting guard, go be Kobe or Michael Jordan. But at point guard, you can't play with that negative energy. And then to this whole he's angry and he's this fashionista that wants to show up to every game and put on a fashion show runway. It's like he's a runway model. And, and so I don't his energy seems at conflict to me all the time, like. He's tapped into his feminine side and he's tapped into this hyper angry side, but he also just seems very emotional. And yes. that's where the thing with the relationship with the dad is just like, wow, I didn't get an emotional energy from my father. I got more of a mm -hmm. hardcore logical, you know, I have no emotion from my father. That's the energy. I, and I don't understand Russell Westbrook. He seems like a man at war with himself. I'm so glad you wanted to talk about this because it's very important because he's very influential to the kids. And for you to wear a dress, Russ, I got to speak to you. Like If I could see you face to face, I would say this. But bro, that's not it. Wearing fingernail paint, any of this eyelash, any dress, anything feminine is not it, man. And, it's, and you're killing us. You're killing us following this narrative. And as far as the play, you know, Russ has always been this aggressive, highly chip on your shoulder guy. And that comes from him not being as good as he was supposed to be when he came out of college. And when he got to college. And when you play with that type of, uh, it's easy to, to get Russ miscombobulated I can literally say one or two things to Russ and he'll be out of the game for the next six games he's that emotional which then like you said taps into the feminine which lets you know he's more of a beta than an alpha and when you have that energy that's ah 
people confuse that with alpha because we're warriors. But really, alphas are patient. We're calm. We know how to handle situations. Russell doesn't exhibit any of those things. And when you're wearing a dress, when you have millions and millions of kids looking at you as the influence of iconic heroism, you're wearing a dress, you're insulting me. Because I want to influence them kids too, to be men. But you telling them to wear a dress, you're not explaining them, any messaging behind that? You confusing us. Let's fix it, Russ. Uh, Rashad, I'm going to say this. Uh, you're not scared. <laughs> Welcome go. to the Fearless Army. Uh, <laughs> we'll be uh, reaching back out to you uh, to swear you in for induction into this army. Uh, I suggest anybody uh, watching this or who has a problem with it, uh, this is how we get down over here. It's very femi it's very uh, fearless, it's very uh, masculine, and again, it's not to promote conflict, but it is to like put some people in check, man, and make them say, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that this show is going to be a force against the satanic energy that's pervasive throughout America. And so I welcome you uh, to the Fearless Army and we'll be circling back to you very soon, uh, Rashad. Thank you. Uh, great Thank first you. appearance. That's, I think that's better than uh, Steve Kim's first appearance uh, on the show. <laughs> oh yeah, that was, yeah, that was on Shamika level uh, right there. Shamika left me kind of speechless and Rashad McCants just left me speechless right there, but that's why you need to support this show, and that's why you need to uh, support the sponsors of this show, because where else can you get that kind of conversation from a professional athlete? Again, you will have professional athletes on other shows, on ESPN, on Fox Sports, and they sound like and present themselves, they got the beards and all this other stuff, and they look like they talking tough and looking like they keeping it real and 100%, look like, act like, oh, I want all the smoke. But do they really? But do they really? Uh, and so I wanna thank our friends over at Bonner Private Wines. Uh, they've taken, they have taken the skill of making fine wines and turned it into an incredible art form. This is all made possible because they've traveled to the, traveled the world to find the finest quality grapes to make the best wines possible. Their wines are truly incredible, especially compared to the wines you'd get at your local supermarket. By joining their wine club, you aren't going to get bulk, overpriced wines with fancy looking labels that don't taste great. Instead, you're gonna get amazing selections from people that have a love and passion for crafting the best wines on the market. Bonner Private Wines gives you an experience that is truly fascinating. Try them now and you'll definitely come back for more. Visit bonnerprivatewines.com fearless and you'll get 50% off the wine and 50% off shipping. Just visit bonnerprivatewines.com 
com slash fearless. That's bonnerprivatewines.com slash fearless. Support the people supporting me and this show because they're supporting you. All right, welcome back. Uh, we've got a real blaze going. Uh, <laughs> Rashad McCants just came and set this show on fire. Uh, I thought I set a fire, and Rashad McCants took it to another level. All right, let's roll out to Los Angeles and see if uh, Steve Kim uh, can keep this fire going. Uh, Steve, very few people have ever come on this show, and I said, well, damn, I think he's more fearless than Steve Kim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was fearless. Lord, have, did you hear Rashad McCants? Yes, I did, and I have to give him credit. I, I mean, forget EPMD, that's the crossover. Uh, I remember watching him play, <laughs> going all the way back to his career at UNC, had a long run in the association, also had a professional career overseas. And we need more voices like this because it's being proven that a lot of these disagreements, whether they're cultural or political or in terms of legislation, are not just a black and white issue that is bordered on racial lines. And I would have to believe that Rashad is not alone. He cannot be the only guy who feels this way, not only about certain issues, but also the leadership and the voice of one LeBron James. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. I'm going to start you, though, in the lane where you're most comfortable in, boxing. Floyd Mayweather, uh, mm. you know, I have not been the biggest Floyd Mayweather fan, but my God, did he win some points with me yesterday <laughs> in standing up and supporting Kyrie Irving. Uh, are you surprised at what Floyd did yesterday? I am and then I'm not because he's always been a little bit of an outlier and very unique. Uh, again, I remember about four or five years ago, he went to the inauguration of one Donald J. Trump. I don't know if he understood the ramifications or symbolically how that would be received by many of his fans, but he went. Uh, he's always been an individual. Look, he's the one guy that bucked the boxing system, bought out his promotional contract with top rank, began his own promotional contract, and then against the advice of everybody, he became literally the richest athlete, not just in boxing, but of all sports for about a full decade. So he's always had his own mind. And one other thing that I loved about that message, he went full LeVar Burton. I don't want to hear any more. Hey, 50, he can read. He actually read pretty damn well, I thought. Excuse my language. So that's the other thing that got me. I was like, wow, he can read. Okay. But I, I love the messaging. I don't know what spurred him to do it. Here's the thing that I find interesting, though, Jason. I went on some of the major boxing web pages and ESPN. This is Floyd Mayweather. Uh, if Floyd Mayweather would say, you know what, I'm going to have another exhibition bout, uh, maybe do it here or against this YouTuber or the guy that does TikTok, it'd be a major story. Trust me, I went through that process. I checked today on ESPN's boxing page, not a single word about it, which I found interesting but not surprising. Here's what I found really interesting. I punched Floyd into Google this morning and the stories that come up were about Floyd wouldn't give a kid mm. with painted fingernails an autograph or wouldn't take a picture with him. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what the stories that were coming up and, and they, they were quoting the kids saying that Floyd said, I don't take pictures with guys with uh, painted fingernails. And I was like, how can this 
with all that's going on in the world, here's one of the richest athletes on the planet, one of the most famous athletes on the planet, offering support to Kyrie Irving, who is right now banned from the NBA because he won't take the vaccine. But Floyd not taking a picture with a kid with painted fingernails is a bigger story than that. I find that amazing, and I think this goes to speak to about how Google funnels certain information in front of you and doesn't funnel other information in front of you. And so it's a much bigger deal that Floyd, some kid with painted fingernails, Floyd didn't want to take a picture with. That's a major news story. Floyd basically saying, hey, they're forcing this vaccine on us. Crickets. Mind-blowing to me. Well, Uh, well, Jason... I want to point this out. I actually disagree with Floyd on that. To me, the guy wants, look, Floyd is actually very good with fans in terms of autographs and pictures. He's very accommodating. I've seen it. No matter what I think about him, he's one of the best athletes I've ever seen in dealing with the public and trying to accommodate everybody. In that situation, I don't think he should be so judgmental. Uh, Another hip-hop reference in the immortal words of Chub Rock, uh, you know, sign an autograph, you might make a new fan. Uh, To me, you, you take the picture shake the kid's hand, walk away. You don't have to agree with his lifestyle or his fashion. It's not that big of a deal. But it goes to show you, Jay, in terms of what is being reported and disseminated about Floyd Mayweather, it's really not about what they report. Maybe the real news is what they don't. I agree. I I somewhat, I think I understand where Floyd is coming from in terms of, of, we're at a unique time, and Dave Chappelle pointed it out, and I'll transition to Chappelle here next. Dave Chappelle pointed it out like that there's some friction between the LGBTQ community and the black community. And, and so Floyd right now is choosing a side in that conflict and, and perhaps that's the reason, because that's certainly the reason why they're making it a news story and shoving it in everyone's face is because they're trying, they're trying to paint Floyd as homophobic. Uh, so I, I don't have a problem with what Floyd did. Not saying that's what I would have done, because I, I wouldn't have. I'd have just taken the picture and kept it moving. But uh, I do want to move to Dave Chappelle, who once again is refusing to back down and, and, and I love it. I, I think this could be an example to other celebrities that if you get in that mindset that you don't care about being canceled, they can't cancel you. I really hope, Jay, for his sake and for this movement, he does not become Dave Capitulate. That, okay, you've said your piece, <laughs> you've given your message that, hey guys, I said what I said, this is my act, this is my performance, this is my art form, but I'm not changing. He risks now almost starting to back up without knowing it if he keeps addressing it. My advice would be, which you would not take or listen to, is, okay, Dave, you've said it. Now move on with your business. I heard some other quotes from him on Twitter where he talked about, I guess he's doing this new documentary and he's worried about funding and he's not being invited to film festivals. You know what, Dave? You have FU money. You don't need to do that. In fact, if you have problems funding, you're the type of name with your profile and your track record, you could fund it yourself. There's ownership, which is powerful, and there's power in ownership. That's what he has to recognize now, that he had to have had some sort of comprehension that if I do this, 
that Netflix was going to react a certain way. And you saw what happened last week with the protest, their CEO not exactly backing him up. So, Dave, you've gone all the way in now. Don't be France in 1940. Don't give up. Don't back up. Do not capitulate. That would be my message to him. I certainly think he has an opportunity to do his own thing and not be dependent on Netflix or anybody. And that is the path forward. I mean, Dave's not that active on social media, uh, but if he was, if he chose to be, I, I don't think he could reach Trump's level, but people would respond to his social media activity in an amazing way because he's smart, he's clever, he's funny. Obviously his opinion matters. And so he doesn't need social media. He doesn't need these film festivals for relevancy. He doesn't need to be invited to this group or that group for relevancy. And and so you're right, he could go out on his own, get some investors who would love to back him uh, and, and, and do his own thing. Jay, think about this. Last week, that protest that took place probably about 10, 15 miles from where I reside, there was a, maybe a couple hundred people at most. It wasn't overflow. Dave Chappelle did concerts right after this special came out to overflow crowds. He could probably sell out certain arenas, 10, 15, 20,000 from people that pay. He literally has a much bigger audience that is willing to pay to hear what he has to say than people that actually would not go to a protest uh, that were aghast at Dave Chappelle. Think about it. There's no cost to go to a protest. And no matter what the the media will frame it, that looked about as big as that WNBA victory parade. There weren't that many people. It was given outsized coverage, right? It was framed a certain way, like there was all this outrage. But Jason, as someone that still lives in Los Angeles, it really didn't make any type of impact. It didn't make a ripple, didn't affect any of our lives. Trust me, I w- I'm here in this area. And it was a news story that was covered, I think, above and beyond the actual coverage that it deserved. I would love to get a head count on how many transgender people there actually are in America uh, and, and what percentage of the population they are, because it, 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 we're running around and giving less than one half percent of the population, 90% of the conversation. And that's what drives me crazy. I just don't believe there are that many transgender people in America, and, and, but they're certainly dominating the conversation as if they are five, seven, 10% of the American population. I just don't believe that. Well, Jason, I've read statistically they're actually less than 2% of the American population. And that special came out about, what, three weeks ago, right? I was Last time I saw you in Nashville. And there's been no uh, hemorrhaging or rising numbers of anti-LGBTQ assaults, murders, and other crimes committed against that group of people. It simply hasn't happened. So what evidence is there that, number one, that they are uh, the victim of certain type of prejudice, whether it's from a systemic level or from a personal level? 
But again, every day there are people being murdered in certain cities in mass, multiple numbers that are never given coverage. If you actually look at the numbers of murders in certain cities like Baltimore and Chicago, you know the cities that they are, Philadelphia, last year or so, that's almost given no coverage. And so I really want to know when was the last time someone from that community was actually murdered uh, in terms of something that could be uh, described as a homicide? I, I, I would tend to think the people in that community could tell you something happened yesterday, this week, because I do believe there is a hostility towards transgender people or people with gender dysphoria. And, and I do believe they feel vulnerable. But I think one of the things Dave is arguing is not at Netflix, you don't. Uh, and not inside corporate America, you don't. Uh, you know, corporate America is bending over backwards for you. In the places where money is actually made, uh, you know, people are bending over backwards. And so there are certain areas, I think, in schools among kids, there certainly was an environment where I think people with those gender issues or dysphoria or beliefs uh, do face some harassment and, and it's less than what it used to be. But in, in corporate America where money is made and in the job force or whatever, I, I think the environment is very welcoming. And, and there's virtually no hostility. And, and it's like Dave Chappelle is the one actually facing hostility. And then I, I think you make a, a somewhat fair point in terms of for young black men in certain cities, stepping outside, going across the wrong street and accidentally ending up in the wrong neighborhood with a flat tire. Yeah, that's very dangerous. And uh, so I, I get your point. I want to move on to Enos Cantor, who really showed a pair uh, yesterday in, in terms of going after Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Phil Knight, Nike, calling out their hypocrisy. Uh, you know, I know he's at the tail end of a NBA career that's been going on for about 12 or 13 years. Uh, how courageous do you think Enos Cantor was with his comments? I'm going to make a bold prediction. He will not be invited to the shop on HBO anytime soon. That That's something I'm willing to gamble on. <laughs> but it's bold. I, I just wish Enos Cantor was a Kevin McHale-level player because the impact of his words are very strong. It would have been stronger if he was an all-star caliber player, but for him to just go out there and actually name names and be very specific with his grievances, I love it. But again, let's go back to what we talked about with Floyd Mayweather in terms of amplifying the message through the media. If you go to the websites, go to the news sources, it's almost like this didn't happen. And it's funny, the same NBA media that last year, anytime that these guys would walk out or protest over the likes of Jacob Blake or any injustices, would uh, say, more than an athlete. Okay, well, Ennis Cantor is actually taking a global issue and taking a stand on it and being very strong. Isn't he more than an athlete? Why is his message not being amplified? And why aren't others being questioned? You know, it wasn't that long ago, and I think it was over the Ahmed Arbery uh, situation that, 
LeBron James, and I might be wrong in my timing, quoted something from Martin Luther King where he basically said, an injustice um, anywhere. Anywhere is, is an injustice is everywhere. Or a threat to justice everywhere. Well, LeBron, yeah. there you go. You wanted to play this statesman that cared about social justice issues. Maybe you haven't gotten to page three of the Malcolm X autobiography, but there comes a point in time where it's not even about the LeBron Jameses and the Ennis Cantors anymore. I think it's about the people that cover them. Because I really, and I've talked to you about this, Jason, for those that kept saying the more than an athlete mantra, we're now more than a year later from the summer of George Floyd, as you call it. Have any of these guys ever asked one of these players, hey, guys, all those initiatives that you talked about, fixing the inner city, uh, stopping, uh, what do they call it, gentrification, what have you guys actually done? Have any of you guys brought properties in those distressed areas? Have you created more jobs by buying businesses, uh, upping the economy? What have you really done? Or are we past that now? See, I, I find that to be very interesting that even, like, again, I told you last year when this Jacob Blake situation went on and the Milwaukee Bucks actually walked off the court and the NBA season inside that bubble was in jeopardy, I got into a lot of trouble just for asking Chris Mannix, uh, Chris, maybe these NBA players are learning something that they don't matter, that they're not that important. And so I think there's almost a threat that, no, 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 no. Don't stick up for Ennis Canner. You're simply not allowed to. What I would love to ask, or we'll find out in the next 24 to 48 hours, is anyone in the media going to have the stomach to ask LeBron, hey, Ennis Canner uh, called out <laughs> you and Nike yesterday. We'd love to know your response. Will that question even be asked? I don't think by anyone at the four-letter network. It, because at this point, you know, it, this happens a lot in boxing, but I'm sure it takes place in every realm of sports is about the access. And certain writers have a favored relationship with the subjects they cover, high-powered people, you need the information, you want the influence. And when you ask a, an uncomfortable question like that, which by the way is a part of journalism, last time I checked, you may be put into that penalty box where you don't get invited to a party or, or you don't get press releases, you don't get to ask the questions at the press conferences. So when it comes to LeBron James, he's a very protected member of that upper class, that he's up in that ivory tower. And it just still amazes me to this day that no one has actually asked LeBron with these affected areas that you proclaim to care about, what have you actually done? He's done the school, and the reporting on that was a little bit inaccurate in terms of how much influence he had on that school or how much capital he put in. Give him credit for the contribution that he made, but I think a lot of these NBA writers, especially the ones that work for corporate legacy media, simply they don't want to go there and they're not allowed to. All right, let's end on or let's pivot and end on a note. Something you saw very interesting. I saw it as well. This happened late last week in the Lakers opening their season and Rajon Rondo had an incident with a fan sitting courtside, and I found the reaction to the incident fascinating, but let's, let's show what happened here between Rajon Rondo and a fan sitting courtside. All right, let's see exactly what happened with Rondo and the fan. 
What is that guy? Are you kidding me? So this was not any sort of spilled liquid. This was an interaction between Rondo and the fan. And after, you cannot, after the cleanup, this happened of... And not only should he... I mean, first of all, yes, you should escort him out. The, the guy shouldn't be allowed back in. You made physical contact with an NBA player in a courtside seat? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? See, this is really tough for me. No, this is tough for me because I'm a huge Doris Burke fan. Uh, I really am. Why? Yeah. Why? Because I think she's terrific. I I think she's terrific. I I really do. Yes. Love her commentary for the most part. I mean, look, do I think, I don't think she's as good as Mark Jackson and uh, Van Gundy. But I think she does an excellent job. I love listening to her NBA coverage. I think she's prepared. And so I, I, I just want to, Doris, despite everything I'm about to say here moving forward, I love you and I think you're great. Having said that, sitting there listening to a broadcaster, are you kidding me? He touched an NBA player. Are you kidding me? Makes me go, are you kidding me? Are you so immersed in this elitist athlete bubble? Have you become such, again, just as a journalist, my whole mentality entering the field in 1990 was like, I'm here to represent the fan, not the athlete not the coaches, not the executives. I'm one of them, a fan who wants information, knowledge, wants questions asked. My hope, and we have so pivoted that the media now looks at itself as the athlete, the coach, the executive, the commissioner, the league. And they're hostile to the fan. And so Rajon Rondo is a human being. When I look at Rajon Rondo, I don't think NBA star. I think human being who farts the same as me, who does dumb stuff the same as me and anybody sitting in the stand. And so if Rajon Rondo puts his finger in another man's face for a prolonged period of time, I'm not outraged that that other human being shoved that finger out of his face. Rajon Rondo's ability to dribble a basketball, dunk a basketball, shoot a basketball, does not make him superior to anybody else. You put your finger in someone's face in any sort of hostile manner for an extended period of time, and that human being is going to react and likely going to push your hand out of his face or her face. And so Doris Burke, love you to death, but snap out of it. (laughs) Rajon Rondo and the guys in the NBA are not special human beings. Who, who can do whatever they want and can disrespect people and the other person 
uh, has to suffer all the consequences. What world, what planet are we living in? And this is my entire problem with corporate media. My entire problem. ESPN's slogan is to serve sports fans anytime, anywhere. That's not what they're doing. They're serving athletes, celebrities, and millionaires anytime, anywhere, and damn the fans. It's outrageous to me. And Doris, I love you, but cut it out. All right, my thoughts. Number one, was that Doris Burke or Helen Keller? Like, like she didn't see like him pulling that symbolic trigger. And by the way, with Ray John Rondo, we've never had to worry about his shooting, so that guy was safe. Don't worry about that. That was from gun control. But here's the I want to be fair about this. I don't believe just because you buy a seat, you have a right to say a lot or go out of bounds with fans. I still remember Vernon Maxwell, Mad Max, literally going into the crowd, I think in Portland, to slug a guy because he made fun of her uh, of a family member that had died or a young child. I still remember the malice in the palace which I thought was precipitated by a fan throwing something and it hit Ron Artest. You know what? I'm not defending those guys, but I got it. Because I, I actually think there is a code of conduct that fans have to adhere to. I don't care if you pay $3,000 for a seat. I would like to know what actually set off that conflict between the fan in the front row and Rajon Rondo. But with that said, did Doris Burke actually not just see, actually, I don't know if she where her seat is, but clearly, Rajon Rondo upped the ante there by getting right in the guy's face. And if most people have a finger in their face pointed at them, and I won't say menacingly, but it wasn't an act of friendship, you're going to slap it away. So, Doris, as you said, Jason, are you kidding me? And it just goes to show you, and, and, and Jason, we talked about this yesterday. He's not even dead yet, but Robin Ficker must be rolling over in his grave. I don't know how many people know about him, but he was the ultimate heckler at NBA games for about a dozen years with the Washington Bullets, who later became the Wizards. He would literally have like a front row seat right next to the bench or behind it. And this guy was a genius to stuff he would say. And the players, for the most part, outside of Kevin Duckworth, who charged them, Kevin Duckworth never moved so fast, and Frank Lefthook Layden, who tried to pop him in the grill after a game, a lot of the players would back and forth with them, and it was fair. And in fact, Charles Barkley liked him so much after hearing Ficker for about five years that in the 1993 NBA Finals, he said to Ficker, hey, I'm going to pay your way out to Phoenix uh, for game, I think, one or two of the NBA Finals in 93. I need to get on Michael Jordan. And so that's when the gambling scandal was going on with Michael Jordan. So Robin Ficker had props. He brought these oversized playing cards, fuzzy dice, and he actually said, hey, Jordan, how many cards do you want? And one in one instance, Jordan actually held up three fingers. So that stuff is gone now. I don't even think that can occur anymore. Uh, Robin Ficker back about 15, 20 years ago as the Washington franchise moved to their new arena outside the cap center, David Stern put pressure on Abe Poland to say, we can't have that. And so that's really a shame. And I also think there was a racial element that it was a white fan, black player. So Doris Burke, she had to get her SJW cred. She had to act aghast that, oh, my God, how can you dare slap a finger out of a black man's finger or hand from your face? Because if she would have stood up and said, well, maybe Rajon didn't handle that correctly, 
she probably didn't want the heat. There's probably some truth in that. But that's why you also have the option to say nothing or to figure out a way to say something while saying nothing. And I wish she had chosen that. I think you're right in terms, and part of this is personal with me because I'm a lifelong Pacer fan. And as a kid, I went to Pacer games and the Pacers were terrible. I used to heckle the Pacers. I used to heckle the general manager uh, of the Pacers. Why can't I think of his name? Donnie Walsh. Uh, I can never, I'll never, I went to our draft party in like 1988, 89, somewhere around in there. Uh, maybe, no, maybe it was 84, 85. What, maybe, it was around the time we drafted Wayman Tisdale or, or before or after that. And I mean, I cursed out Donnie Walsh from, you know, I was up in the room, but people, he could hear me because I was up in the box and I'm yelling and screaming, you dumb MF, how come you, and he looked up at me like, what are you saying, bro? I was, I used to be an idiot, passionate fan, and part of my whole mentality in joining the media was like, I'm going to give fans better coverage of the teams than what I received, where the the media was all acting like they're afraid of these athletes and coaches and would never ask them a tough question, never write a tough word about them. And so, well, Jason, anyway. can I can I ask you yeah. a very frank question? Because I will say, Wayman Tisdale yeah. was a little bit, I don't want to say bust, but he was too small, couldn't finish at the rim at the NBA level. But were you one of those Pacer fans that mercilessly booed the selection of one Reggie Miller from UCLA in 1987, 88? No, I was not. No, because most people wanted the Pacers to draft Steve Alford, and You're I right. did not okay. want him to draft Steve Alford. And, you know, I love Steve Alford's college career, but he was not an NBA player. No, I, I was I was not upset about that. So Okay, because I will give right. Donnie Walsh credit. He added Dale Davis, Antonio Davis. He put together a good team in the 90s. Did you give him credit for that, Jay? Yeah, no, he eventually Donnie okay. Walsh got it together. But I'm talking about back in the 80s when I had <laughs> okay. a right to be. I think I was upset. Uh, you, there was a player out of Maryland, I think, named Adrian Branch. He got Adrian in trouble. Branch. I think for marijuana, I gave him the nickname the Dope Man. And we took, <laughs> instead, instead of taking Adrian Branch, we took someone off of Georgetown's team or Villanova's team. It had just won a national championship. And maybe it was Billy Martin we drafted or some, somebody named Martin. That we, and I was very upset. We should have taken the Dope Man. We could have got the Dope Man in the second round, and I wanted Adrian Branch. And I was very upset about that. So anyway, all right, that's it and that's all. Thank you, Steve. All right, I I said we were going to have Delano, but we went so long with Steve and Rashad that uh, we're going to have Delano tomorrow. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, conversations were so crazy today and so good. We're going to wait till tomorrow to bring in our best soldier. Uh, Delano Squire. So uh, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. We're going to have Delano and Loza Alexander. You guys heard of Loza Alexander. He made the Let's Go Brandon song that's gone viral and gone number one everywhere. Both those guys will be on the show tomorrow. You won't want to miss that. I'm Jason Whitlock. Thanks for tuning in to Fearless. Uh, Let's let Tamara take us out of here. 
We are living, get back. We are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free. We want freedom. I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want. 